0: Do you think if you were President of the United States and it came down to Iran having a nuclear bomb, would you say is unacceptable, you would authorize the use of tactical nuclear weapons? Part of the premise of talking to Iran
1: has to be that they have to know very clearly that it is unacceptable to the United States that they have nuclear power. I think it could be done with conventional weapons, but you can't rule out anything and you, couldn't, you shouldn't take any option off the table.
0: Iran in particular poses a grave challenge. It builds a nuclear program, supports terrorism, and threatens Israel with destruction.
2: Iran is seeking nuclear weapons, and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is in the forefront of that.: I'm glad they're at Guantanamo. I don't want them on our soil. I want them in Guantanamo when they don't get the access to lawyers they get when they're on our soil. I don't want them in, in our prisons. I want them there. Some people have said we had to close Guantanamo. My view is we had to double Guantanamo.
3: I've been
1: With us now, Republican presidential candidate Ron Paul, Congressman from uh, uh, the Houston area. What do you feel about Iran? Do you see that as a threat to this country? No, I think... You don't? No, I think Iran... I think our policy toward Iran is a threat. That's what I fear. You know, I fear that tomorrow we might bomb Iran. That really scares me. But Iran doesn't have a nuclear weapon. Our CIA said they might. And they're thinking about it, but they've committed no crimes. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the UN inspectors say that uh, they they have had no evidence that they're working on a nuclear weapon. So the fact that we might bomb them, that our other candidates say that they won't take anything off the table, even the nuclear first strike, that's what really scares me. If you don't, if we don't like $100 oil, wait till it hits $200 oil. If we bomb Iran,
3: welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this ninth day of December, 2007. I'd like to start the podcast off today by welcoming new listeners to The Corbett Report. This week represented the largest amount of traffic that The Corbett Report website has ever seen, due entirely to one YouTube video which we released this week. The video is entitled, Good Morning America Learns That Bin Laden Is CIA, and features a report that was briefly up on the ABC News website of an interview done by Good Morning America with four young Pakistanis about what Pakistanis think about the world. The clip features the four young Pakistanis talking about Osama Bin Laden and how he is a CIA creation. The corporate report was lucky enough to be able to scoop that video off of the website and put it up on YouTube. And a resulting story from Infowars.net, which made the front page of Infowars.com, PrisonPlanet.com, TruthNews.us, and Infowars.net, resulted in over 70,000 hits so far, and made the Corbett Report user channel the 33rd most viewed in the world last week. So to all of the listeners who have found the website through that video, I welcome you to the Corbett Report. I'd like to take this opportunity to let my new listeners know and to remind my old listeners that all the documentation for all of the information I discuss in each and every one of my episodes is backed up on the website. Please go to corbettreport.com and under the episode tab, you'll find documentation list, sorted by time index to all of the relevant documents from today's episode. Today I'd like to introduce a new segment to the podcast, a news roundup of some of the most important stories from the previous week. Again, if you want to get these stories from my website, please go to www.corbitreport.com and look under the documentation for today's episode. And now it's time for the real news. This article from Infowars.net, December 4th, 2007, Young Pakistanis, Bin Laden is a CIA creation. An ABC news piece that ran yesterday morning attracted attention after four Pakistanis who were being interviewed about the attitudes and life of young people in Pakistan declared Osama Bin Laden to be a creation of Western intelligence and stressed that Islamic extremist attitudes towards the West were virtually non-existent in their country before 9-11. ABC have since pulled the video footage from their website, but an industrious Prison Planet forum member grabbed the footage and uploaded it to YouTube. Who is Osama bin Laden, one girl asked Chris Cuomo. He's just a character created by America, she concluded. Today's second news story is Ex-Italian President. Intel agencies know 9-11 an inside job. This article comes from Prison Planet, also from December 4th, 2007, Former Italian president and the man who revealed the existence of Operation Gladio, Francesco Cosca, has gone public on 9-11, telling Italy's most respected newspaper that the attacks were run by the CIA and Mossad, and that this was common knowledge amongst global intelligence agencies. Cosca was elected president of the Italian Senate in July 1983 before winning a landslide 1985 election to become president of the country in 1985. Cosca gained respect from opposition parties as one of a rare breed, an honest politician, and led the country for several years until April 1992. In other news this week, this report from CBC News. Iran says U.S. report vindicates nuclear program. Iran's foreign minister on Tuesday welcomed a U.S. intelligence report that casts significant doubt on the White House's claim Tehran Iran is still seeking nuclear weapons through its nuclear enrichment program. In a dramatic reversal from previous reports' conclusions, the latest U.S. National Intelligence Estimate report released on Monday said it believes with high confidence that Iran put its bid to build a nuclear bomb on hold in 2003. Tehran has insisted it never has sought nuclear weapons. Again, please check out my site for the links to these stories. As you might have guessed from the opening clips from today's episode, we are going to be talking about the 2008 American presidential election. And as you might have also guessed from the title and opening clip, we are going to be talking about Ron Paul. Dr. Ron Paul graduated from the Duke University School of Medicine, serving in the U.S. Air Force as a flight surgeon before establishing his own practice in 1968, specializing in obstetrics and gynecology, and having delivered over 4,000 babies during the course of his career. Dr. Paul was first sent to the House of Representatives as a congressman for the 14th Congressional District of Texas in the 1970s, where he has long been noted for his principled stands on a number of issues, including his voting record, in which he has never voted to raise taxes, he has never voted to raise congressional pay, he has never taken a government-paid junket, he has voted against the Patriot Act, he has voted against regulating the Internet, he has voted against the Iraq War and he does not even take part in the lucrative congressional pension program. These are just some of the basic facts about Dr. Ron Paul. But for the few of you out there who still haven't heard of Dr. Paul or heard him speak, let's let the controlled corporate media introduce this so-called dark horse candidate. NBC Nightly News ran a report in October 2007 about Dr. Paul's run for office. Let's listen to that report and their introduction of Dr. Paul and then analyze some of the propaganda and spin in this report.
1: And now to presidential politics in this country, and a candidate who was thought, at the beginning of this whole process at least, to be at the far fringes of the debate with little chance to make much of an impact. But Texas Congressman Ron Paul's campaign has caught on with a lot of Republicans, some Democrats, some Independents, especially on the Internet. Our report from NBC's Bob Fall.
0: To some, Ron Paul is the Don Quixote of American politics, forever tilting at windmills
1: get back to the revolutionary times and pick up the pieces he says
0: bring our troops back from iraq bush has a horrible foreign policy abolish the federal reserve system it's not constitutional abolish social security it's
1: gone there's no money
0: abolish the income tax
1: it's based on the assumption that the government owns us and i think the american people are tired of the iron fist approach to their lives
0: He's getting more than applause this summer alone. Ron Paul raised over $5 million from supporters like Brian Costin in Chicago. We're out here to change our country. Costin doesn't just organize Ron Paul rallies. He spends up to four hours a day touting Paul on the Internet. It's a new age in politics. Justine Lamb, for example, uses her hat cam to stream live Ron Paul's speeches and rallies. And they're broadcasting it right now on the
1: internet, and it's on our website as well.
0: Results, scores of online donors, 40,000 plus friends of Ron Paul in more than 800 cities, where he's become the bon vivant of the blogosphere. Congressman Ron Paul, thank you so much for joining me. He's not just tapping into war fatigue. Don't you think it's time we came home? He's also tapping into their distrust of big government.
3: I'm mad as hell, and we're getting to the point where people are not going to take it anymore. He wants to get back to the way it's
0: supposed to be. The message of a Texas obstetrician who's delivered 4,000 babies and who's voted against so many government programs, he's been nicknamed Dr. No.
1: We don't need to be depend on the federal government because it doesn't work. But I'm really saying yes to what has made America great.
0: Wielding Don Quixote's lance, bent, not broken. Bob Paul, News, Arlington, Virginia.
3: Now keep in mind that that report was aired back in October of 2007 perhaps at a time when the mainstream media could still deny that Ron Paul had any real grassroots support other than a fringe element on the Internet. And you'll notice that that clip included many of the tricks that the controlled corporate media often employ to dismiss real people and real issues. You'll notice, for example, that they introduced the report by noting that many people thought Dr. Paul was a fringe element who could not appeal to many voters. They also denied Dr. Paul a chance to speak at any great length in the report, There was not one single clip of Dr. Paul speaking for more than four or five seconds in the entire two-and-a-half-minute news piece. Whatever the biases and spin on that report, it was still at least valuable in getting across some of the main ideas of Dr. Paul's campaign. This campaign is growing substantially by the day, appealing to voters who are disaffected by the current gang in Washington and looking for real change. That NBC News report noted that Ron Paul was able to raise over $5 million this summer in campaign fundraising, a surprising figure considering that Ron Paul's average donation was $40. These are not the figures that are seen by the candidates who appeal to large corporate conglomerates in the military-industrial complex. And for an example of that, I note Hillary Clinton's campaign has received more funding from the military-industrial complex than all of the other candidates combined. Ron Paul's support comes from real people who are truly concerned about America and its impact on the world. One of the most remarkable examples of this growing impact of the Ron Paul campaign came on November 5th, 2007, when the campaign was able to set an all-time record for fundraising on a single day by raising over $4.3 million. This campaign was organized on the internet as a sly tongue-in-cheek reference to Guy Fawkes Day, recently popularized in the movie V for Vendetta as a day to mark dissent against the ruling tyrannical government. Since that day, the controlled corporate media has been losing more and more credibility by continuing to deny that the Ron Paul campaign is a growing force in American politics. But deny it they do. If Ron Paul's philosophy were to be encapsulated in a single phrase, perhaps the philosophy of liberty would be the best way to encapsulate it. For those curious about the Philosophy of Liberty, there is a video available on YouTube under that very name, which you can access from my user profile on YouTube. Simply type in www.youtube.com slash Corbett Report, all one word, and under my favorites you'll be able to find The Philosophy of Liberty. It's an excellent eight-minute animated short describing in some detail the Philosophy of Liberty and what it involves. For a more audio-friendly introduction to the philosophy of liberty, we turn again to a clip from the controlled corporate media, this time an ABC News clip which appeared on the ABC News website yesterday, December 8th, 2007. The report is only being aired on the internet, an unusual move which is explained by reporter John Stossel, who says, "'Despite relatively low poll numbers, Paul has had a big influence on the presidential campaign.' That's in part because he's raised a ton of money, and in part because of the passionate following he has on the web. It's one reason we're posting my interview with Paul only on the internet, where the debate about Paul is very active. In fact, he's the most googled presidential candidate. This type of Orwellian doublethink is being propounded in the mainstream media right now that All of Ron Paul's astounding figures, including the largest single fundraising day in the history of any presidential campaign, is due entirely to support of people on the Internet. Therefore, only people on the Internet would be interested in watching interviews with Ron Paul. Nevertheless, this controlled corporate media report does allow Ron Paul much more opportunity to express some of his viewpoints on some of the key issues regarding personal liberty and freedom. So let's take a listen to this ABC News report, available only on the ABC News website from December 8, 2007.
2: Freedom of choice, as presidential candidate Ron Paul, shouldn't just be restricted to choices he approves of. He opposes things like prostitution and drug use, but says the federal government has no business trying to stop adults from doing them. You would legalize marijuana, cocaine, heroin?
1: I would get the government out of regulating all those substances, and I would allow the states to deal with problems, whether children should have them, whether children can buy cigarettes and alcohol or hard drugs, marijuana, and different states would probably do uh, different things. The first federal uh, law on against marijuana was 1938, and they did it through high taxation because they knew they didn't have authority to say that you're not allowed to smoke marijuana. Today, it's gone berserk. The federal government comes in and overrules a state that has legalized marijuana to be used for very sick people, AIDS and cancer, and they're getting some help. The federal government comes in, puts people in prison that are sick because they're using it for medical reasons, and they've never committed a violent crime. That's how absurd the war on drugs has become.
2: Alcohol prohibition led to more crime. You Excellent. argue that even, even heroin could be legal if some state decided wouldn't?
1: I think I think under under our system of government that would be the case. Um, but if you ask the people who are against it, if it, if a state did that, would you use it? You say, "Oh no, I wouldn't use it. It's always those other people that might use it, so I have to take care of them and prevent them and from doing harm that? to themselves."
2: Hmm? What about that? Is that a role for government?
1: No, I don't believe so. I think the I think the government's role should uh, not be involved in personal habits. I believe those rules should protect children who are below the age of making good judgment. So I have no problem with state laws that would uh, protect children from the use of these drugs. But under the Constitution, the president and the federal government wouldn't have a say in it.
2: Homosexuality. Should gays be allowed to marry? the, The state says we believe in this?
1: Sure, they can do whatever they want and they can call it whatever they want just so they don't expect to impose their relationship on somebody else. They can't make me personally accept what they do, but they, they can, uh, uh, gay couples can do whatever they want. Uh, matter of fact, I'd like to see the, all governments out of uh, the marriage question. I don't think it's a state function, I think it's a religious function. And uh, there was a time when only churches dealt with you know, marriage. And, and they determined what it was. But uh, 100 years or so ago, for health reasons, they claimed that the state would protect us if we knew more about our spouses and we did health testing and you had to get a license to get married. And I, I don't agree with that.
2: Prostitution.
1: I think when you defend freedom... You defend freedom of choice, and you can't be picking and choosing how people use those freedoms. So if they do things that you don't like and you might find morally repugnant, uh, I, as an individual, I don't make that judgment. So I don't believe government can legislate virtue. I can reject it personally and preach against it, whether it's drugs or prostitution, but my solution comes from my personal behavior with myself and how I raise my children, but uh, whether it's personal behavior or economic behavior, I want people to have freedom of choice.
2: Adults, you seem to be saying, own their own bodies, and if a woman wants to rent hers out, that's her business. If she wants or he wants to smoke crack,
1: yeah, I, th- I think it's it's tragic. And uh, matter of fact, I think the war on drugs, uh, which has caused the price of drugs to go up, and we don't we treat them as criminals. Rather than sick people, we have pushed a lot of people into prostitution. So prostitution is related to the mistakes we've made in in, in the uh, in the drug war. But you know, I think people you know make bad choices in religion and philosophy. But we don't regulate their thinking or their religious beliefs that they're not harming other people. That's why I defend this position that individuals should protect themselves. Governments can't protect individuals from themselves. It's just impossible. Otherwise, they become a tyrannical state.
3: Again, that report is slightly more balanced than the NBC News report, but still features the interviewer, John Stossel, trying to paint Ron Paul as some sort of heroin-using prostitute-frequenting maniac. But Ron Paul nevertheless manages to get his point across very well, that people are in charge of their own lives, and personal freedom and liberty means the freedom to do things that other people perhaps don't approve of, as long as it does not harm other people. This philosophy of liberty likely raises two questions in the listener's mind. Firstly, is Ron Paul serious, i.e., does he take a principled stand for the philosophy of liberty throughout his career? And secondly, how does this philosophy of liberty play out in real problems in the real world, for example, the war in Iraq? Well, let's kill two birds with one stone by answering both questions with a couple of quick clips. The first clip features Dr. Paul on the floor of the House of Representatives, addressing the Congress on October eighth, two 2002, during the height of the six-month-long build-up to war in Iraq. This clip outlines why Ron Paul was opposed to the build-up to the war and also why he imposed this specific legislation authorizing George Bush to wage war on Iraq without prior approval of the Congress as constitutionally mandated.
1: I thank the gentleman for yielding and I ask unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks.
3: Without objection.
1: Madam Speaker... I rise in opposition uh, to this resolution. The wisdom of the war is one issue, but the process and the philosophy behind our foreign policy are other issues as well. But I've come to the conclusion that I see no threat to our national security. There's no convincing evidence that Iraq is capable of threatening the security of this country, and therefore very little reason, if any, to pursue a war. But I'm very interested also in the process that we're pursuing. This is not a resolution to declare war. We know that. This is a resolution that does something much different. This resolution transfers the responsibility and the authority and the power of the Congress to the President So he can declare war when, if he wants to. He has not even indicated that he wants to go to war or that he has to go to war, but he will make the full decision, not the Congress, not through the the people through the Congress of this country in that manner.
3: And has Ron Paul ever wavered or retracted his stance on the Iraq war? Well, let's listen to a clip of Ron Paul from July 2007. Google has been hosting all of the American presidential candidates in a series of seminars at its headquarters, and this audio comes from Ron Paul's visit to Google during July 2007, and this is his response on a question about the Iraq War.
0: So, again, I want, to, I want to actually go through a, a bunch of specific examples. So, clearly, you, you, you voted against the, the war in Iraq, and, and had it been an, a properly authorized resolution of war, I su- assume, based on, on what you've said, you would not have supported that.
1: I would not have. Right. matter of fact, when it came up uh, in the I.R. committee on which I served, I made them vote on it. And said, if if you, you other members, want to go to war, you should do it properly. Get the country together behind you and fight it, win it, and get it over with and get home if it's indeed a necessary war. But they didn't have that debate, and they just ridiculed that idea. And they said that part of the Constitution was anachronistic, and we, we, we we don't do it. But here we are today having the debate that we should have had four years ago. Uh, but they didn't want the debate, and now everybody's scurrying around to cover themselves about why they endorse the war and now why they don't. And uh, they could have avoided it twice if they'd have agreed with me that it was an unnecessary war, our national security was not threatened, or if they just would have resorted to the rule of law, they could have protected themselves. So there's two ways. They should have been able to protect themselves, but now the Congress is up there passing all kinds of resolutions, pretending that they're bowing to the people's will, and they're they're actually helpless in, in doing anything serious about getting us out of iraq
3: there are at least 3 things to note from these two clips the first and perhaps most obvious is the consistency of ron paul's message on this issue what he was saying in 2002 in front of congress is exactly what he's saying in 2007 in front of google his message has not changed it was wrong of congress to hand over the power for it to wage war to the president In 2002, and it is still wrong to have had done that in 2007, it it would be wrong to do that in any future conflict, and Ron Paul is all for proper authorization of war coming from the Congress. This enables the public to have a say over whether or not to wage war, and also on what terms and conditions that war can be won and troops brought home. This is obviously a consistent campaign stance that will stand well with the American electorate at the moment, over 70% of whom want the Iraq war over. This also puts him in sharp contrast to most of the other candidates in both of the parties. Of course, the Republican warmongers can be expected to defend the Iraq war fiasco, but also the Democratic warmongers have to backpedal and use mealy-mouthed political expressions to cover their support for the Iraq war. Senator Clinton, of course, being one of those who voted for the Iraq War, but has repeatedly said since that she has no regrets about voting for the Iraq War, only regrets over the way that Bush waged the war. Such expressions are no longer going to cut it with the American electorate, and we want a principled leader who will take a principled stand on the Iraq War, stating in no uncertain terms that he will bring troops home as quickly as possible and stop the empire building that America has been engaged in for the past century. The second and perhaps also equally clear point from those two clips is that Ron Paul is against the Iraq War. And the third point to be gleaned from those two clips is that the philosophy of liberty implies a non-interventionist foreign policy in which the American government does not try to dictate democracy at the point of a gun, an idea from the Bush neocon administration which has proven to be wrong and yet which other Democrats and Republicans are refusing to let go of. Another central issue of the 2008 presidential election and one which candidates should be being grilled on at the moment is their stance on economic issues. At the moment, America is losing its status as the world reserve currency as China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and other countries seek to divest their holdings in United States Federal Reserve notes in favor of a basket of currencies, inflating other currencies like the euro or the Canadian dollar and devaluing the American dollar. This is an extremely important issue, and one that, again, Ron Paul takes a principled stance on, which has been consistent over the course of his political career. You can watch clips on YouTube from the 1980s in which Ron Paul speaks out against the unconstitutional Federal Reserve, the central bank which dictates the money supply of the United States, Regular listeners to the Corbett Report will remember the Federal Reserve from Episode 5 and Episode 13 of the Corbett Report, in which we go into some detail about the Federal Reserve, a private bank run by private interests for their own profit, which can create money literally out of thin air. New listeners to the Corbett Report are invited to go back and check out those episodes for more information on this disastrous institution. But the key to today's episode is realizing that it has always been a plank of Ron Paul's policy to oppose the Federal Reserve. Not only would he oppose and abolish the Federal Reserve, he as president would move to abolish the income tax. These are bold fiscal policies, but again, they fit into the philosophy of freedom and liberty, which dictate that the government does not, in fact, own your income and allow you to keep a percentage of that income, you earn the income which you earn from the product of your time and labor and efforts. To illustrate this, let's listen to an audio clip from a House Financial Services Committee proceeding, which took place in February 2007, attended by the Chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, also known as Helicopter Ben. And again, for the story on that interesting nickname, please see episode 13 of the Corbett Report. Let's listen to this audio clip in which Ron Paul schools Ben Bernanke about why the Federal Reserve System must be abolished.
1: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and welcome, uh, Chairman Bernanke. I am uh, very pleased to uh, uh, be here today as the ranking member, and uh, in the midst of the great optimism of monetary policy and uh, how the economy is doing, I still have some concerns. And, of course, uh, one of my long-term goals has always been to uh, emphasize uh, maintaining the integrity of the monetary unit uh, rather than looking superficially at some of our statistics. But I also share the concern of the chairman of the committee uh, of uh, our responsibilities for oversight and your interest as well, uh, Chairman Bernanke, on uh, uh, having – Uh, the transparency that I think we all desire. Transparency in monetary policy is a goal we should all support. I've often wondered why Congress has so willingly given up this prerogative over monetary policy. Congress, in essence, has ceded total control of the value of our money to a secretive uh, central bank. Congress created the Federal Reserve, yet it had no constitutional authority to do so. We forget that those powers not explicitly uh, granted to the Congress by the Constitution are inherently denied to the Congress, and thus the authority to establish a central bank was never given. Of course, Jefferson and Hamilton uh, had that debate early on, and uh, the, the debate, seemingly, was settled in 1913. But transparency and oversight are something else, and they're worth considering. Congress, although not by law, essentially has given up all its oversight responsibilities over the Fed. There are no true audits. Congress knows nothing of the conversations, the plans, and the action taken in concert with other central banks. We get less and less information regarding the money supply each year, especially now that we, uh, aren't, we don't even have access to M- M3 statistics. The role the Fed uh, plays in the president's secretive working group on financial markets goes uh, essentially unnoticed by Congress. The Federal Reserve shows no willingness to inform Congress voluntarily about how often the working group meets, what action it takes that affects the financial markets, or or why it takes these actions. But all these actions uh, directed by the Federal Reserve alter the purchasing power of our money. And that purchasing power is always reduced. The dollar today is worth only 4 cents compared to the dollar that the Federal Reserve started with in 1913. This has significant consequences on our economy and our political stability. All paper currencies are vulnerable to collapse, and history is replete with examples of great suffering uh, caused by these collapses, especially to the nation's poor and the middle class. This can lead to political turmoil as well. Even before a currency collapses, the damage done by a fiat system is significant. Our monetary system insidiously transfers wealth from the poor and the middle class to the privileged rich. Wages never keep up with profits on Wall Street and the banks, thus sowing the seeds of class and discontent. When economic trouble hits, free markets and free trade are often blamed, while the harmful effects of a fiat monetary system are ignored. We deceive ourselves that all is well with the economy and ignore the fundamental flaws that are a source of growing discontent among the various groups. Few understand that our consumption and apparent wealth is dependent on a current account deficit running at approximately $800 billion a year. This deficit shows that much of our prosperity is based on borrowing rather than a true increase in production. This phenomenon is not seen as a consequence of the international fiat monetary system where the United States government benefits as the issuer of the world uh, reserve currency. Government officials consistently claim that inflation is in check at barely 2%, but middle-class Americans know that their purchasing power, especially when it comes to housing, energy and medical care and school tuition, is shrinking much faster than at 2% per year. Even if prices are held in check in spite of our monetary inflation, concentrating on the CPI statistics distracts from the real issue. We must address the important consequences of the Fed manipulation of interest rates. When interest rates are artificially low, Below market rates, insidious malinvestment and excessive indebtedness inevitably brings about the economic downturns that everyone dreads. We look at GDP figures and reassure ourselves that all is well, yet a growing number of Americans still do not enjoy the high standard of living that monetary inflation brings to the privileged few. Those who benefit the most are the ones who get to use the newly created credit first. The gentleman's time has If the gentleman would come to a conclusion, Okay, I I will uh, yield back.
3: Once again, Ron Paul demonstrates the philosophy of liberty in action, pointing out the unconstitutionality of the Federal Reserve and also how the hiding of important information such as the M3 money supply, which Ben Bernanke made secret after he became chairman of the Federal Reserve, is a dangerous precedent which can only serve to make the United States more vulnerable to a destruction of its currency. Ron Paul has always advocated and will always advocate the return of the dollar to the gold standard, the only way to combat a fiat currency made out of nothing, which is tantamount to counterfeit. And what of that other great pressing issue of our time, the encroaching globalization inherent in such unconstitutional and undemocratic processes as the security and prosperity partnership, which is gradually transforming the sovereign countries of Canada, the United States, and Mexico into a North American Union. Ron Paul's philosophy of liberty also dictates that there is no possibility of liberty under a centralized form of control, and centralized government as represented in such unaccountable regional governments, would be disastrous for the idea of the progress of human liberty. As such, Ron Paul is firmly opposed to the North American Union. Again, let's get that from his own words. Let's take a listen to a clip from the recent YouTube Republican presidential debate, and a question that was posed to Ron Paul about the encroaching North American Union.
1: Good evening, candidates. This is Seekster from Arlington, Texas, and this question is for Ron Paul. I've met a lot of your supporters online, but I've noticed that a good number of them seem to buy into this conspiracy theory regarding the Council of Foreign Relations, and some plan to make a North American Union by merging the United States with Canada and Mexico. These supporters of yours seem to think that you also believe in this theory, so my
3: question to you is, do you really believe in all this, or are people just putting words in your mouth?
1: Well, it all depends on what you mean by all of this. Uh, The CFR exists, the Trilateral Commission exists, and it's a, quote, conspiracy of ideas. This is an ideological battle. Some people believe in globalism. Others of us believe in national sovereignty. And there is a move on uh, toward a North American Union, just like Early on there was a move on for a European Union and it eventually ended up. So we had NAFTA and moving toward a NAFTA highway, these are real things. It's not somebody made these up, it's not a conspiracy. They don't talk about it and they might not admit about it, but there's been money spent on it. Uh, There was legislation passed in the Texas legislature unanimously to put a hold on it. They're, they're planning on millions of acres taken by eminent domain for an international highway from Mexico to Canada, which is going to make the immigration problem that much worse. So it's, it's not so much a, a secretive conspiracy. It's a contest between ideologies, whether we believe in our institutions here, our national sovereignty, our constitution, or are we going to further move in the direction of international government, more UN. You know, this country goes to war under UN resolutions. I don't like big government in Washington, so I don't like this trend toward international government. We have a WTO that wants to control our drug industry, our nutritional products, so I'm against all that, but it's not so much as a sinister conspiracy, it's just knowledge is out there. If we look for it, you'll realize that our national sovereignty is under threat.
3: Congressman Paul, thank you. As I think the clips in today's episode make clear, Ron Paul's presidential candidacy hinges on a philosophy of liberty, which holds that the government does not control you or your life. Regulation and control from a top-down, centralized government can only create problems such as the debacle in Iraq, or the destruction of the American dollar as the world reserve currency for the benefit of a few unaccountable private bankers, or the ridiculous war on drugs, all of which represent an idea that the government has ownership over you and that your personal liberties must be sacrificed in order for the government to impose these restrictions. I imagine then it becomes clear why Ron Paul is such an exciting candidate. His underlying principles dictate a whole range of policies which poll after poll have shown to be incredibly popular at this time. People are sick of centralized forms of government which seek to control the populace more and more. The encroaching fascist police state we see growing all around us and which has been amply demonstrated in previous episodes of the Corbett Report can only be stopped by dismantling the centralization of power which has been the basis of American federal politics at least for the last decade, probably for the last century. A return to constitutional form of government which itself was founded on a radical philosophy of liberty which changed the paradigm that the entire world geopolitical structure was operating under 200 years ago would ensure that the encroaching police state we see growing around us, and also the terrorism which is being hyped on a daily basis in the mainstream corporate-controlled media, would be rendered almost totally null and void. Those who find Ron Paul's ideas interesting and want to learn more are invited to Google Ron Paul, look up his homepage, or check out some of the numerous videos that are floating around on YouTube. For those who are already on board with Ron Paul and looking for ways to contribute to his campaign, American citizens of course can donate directly to the campaign and are encouraged to do so this December 16th, which marks the anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. Information about this event can be found on teaparty07.com and it promises to be an exciting day which will surpass even that record-breaking day of November 5th which generated so much media interest. Again, just a simple YouTube search for November 5th Money Bomb will yield numerous results from the corporate-controlled media of surprised, even shocked anchors suddenly understanding that Ron Paul is more than a mere political dark horse. This December 16th Money Bomb promises to raise even more money and generate even greater interest in the media, leading into the first primaries starting next month. This is an extremely exciting time for supporters of Ron Paul, And even non-American citizens are encouraged to find out more about Ron Paul's political campaign, as the President of the United States obviously has a large degree of influence over global politics. Indeed, a recent poll came out on the internet showing that if the presidential election were held in America today and the people of the world, the non-American citizens, could vote, they would vote for Ron Paul. Ron Paul's success in poll after poll after poll proves there is an exciting groundswell of support from the grassroots of the electorate, from all political persuasions. This has been demonstrated today in numerous fields, from the war in Iraq to the impending war on Iran to fiscal policy to personal liberties. But perhaps the clearest way in which Ron Paul can be differentiated from the other candidates in the 2008 presidential election is that the other candidates want to be put in office so that they can exert power. Ron Paul wants to be put in office so he can not exert power. Perhaps I'll let him describe this better in his own words. Again, let's turn to a question from that appearance he made at Google's headquarters in July 2007.
0: I think this may be the last question, so we're, you you get the question.
3: Great. Uh, so thanks for coming, Dr. Paul. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm consistently impressed by the way that you use uh, historical precedent and comparisons as the underpinnings for your arguments. Uh, my question revolves around why other candidates are so poor in doing that, and <laughs> <laughs> how do we improve the quality of the dialogue in general uh, in this country so that uh, it's rather than I believe that everyone should have a good education, that somebody makes arguments based on comparisons to other countries and why certain systems have failed. Okay,
1: and I'm real sorry I didn't hear the... the. Uh Thing that you said about the other politician. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, sorry. It was just uh, that other politicians are not so good about uh, basing their arguments on historical precedent, pre- oh, okay. historical precedents, or comparisons. Yeah. Well,
1: I think their motivations are different. I think their motivations are to be in office, and uh, that's secondary to uh, I think what it should be. People should run because they believe in something, and they make promises, and they believe that uh, their system would uh, be for the better good of everybody. Uh, In a very freedom way And I don't think they have the conviction I don't think they have the understanding I don't think they have their interest They're they're worrying about the next election And uh, they're worrying about their vote on Iraq right now There's so many in Congress right now They're talking about When am I going to switch my position Because they know they are Well, yesterday they said I guess we're going to wait till September You know, and then they switch So they're always weighing this They're motivated by having an office And having power, the parties Their main interest is to have power uh, not to have uh, true influence on promoting liberty. So there, there's a big difference and uh, and I, I guess it's personal motivation as much as anything. I, I guess that the only way you can correct that is uh, find a favorite congressman or candidate running for congress or you run for congress, you participate, if you understand the issues and think it's worthwhile, get involved.
3: He would move to abolish the Federal Reserve, he would move to abolish the income tax, He would move to abolish the IRS. He would move to abolish Social Security. He would move to abolish the war on drugs. He has voted no to the Patriot Act. He has voted no to the Iraq War. He has voted no to internet regulation. He would vote no to gun control. He would vote no to big government. He would vote no to the North American Union. It's time to vote yes for liberty. It's time to vote yes for Dr. Ron Paul. I am James Corbett. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Corbett Report. Join me again next week for episode 24 of the Corbett Report.
2: people are not going to take it anymore.